Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. I, uh, it's, look, we'll get to the CNN thing. I, I know you're waited with bated breath uh, for what I think of the CNN thing. And, and uh, let me give you my nutshell version. It's not going to matter. Uh, you can go to the resurgent.com if you want. Um, you can you can get kind of why I think it won't matter. But if you stick around, I've got some. There was some craziness last night at the CNN uh, climate cult festivities. But we'll get there. Uh, I think this is more important news and something you need to know. And, and kudos to Greg Bluestein for fleshing this out at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, there is a lot of rumor mongering circulating over the Johnny Isaacson seat on both sides, Democrat and Republican. I've been getting calls. I've been getting people asking me if I'll float names. Uh, I, I floated one name to one person indirectly involved because I thought it was a good pick. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who that person was. Uh, it, it probably too long shot to make it happen. But I think that a lot of people are saying a lot of things and they don't actually know what's going on. This this is one of my frustrations in politics. But, you know, it's very standard in politics. There are a lot of people in politics who pretend to know things. And they make up things. And what they do is they read newspaper articles, they call people, they hear things, they connect the newspaper articles to the things they've heard from other people, and they build in their mind an elaborate story to tell. And in telling that elaborate story, they're lying. They, they really don't know what's going on. I have heard incredible rumors I have heard marvelous things, and so much of it is not true. And I'm glad that one of them, one of them Greg Bluestein calls out, and it's the one that made me audibly laugh. I mean, I laughed out loud at this. I actually had a Republican call me and tell me on the phone, you know, most of the Georgia leaders would very much like it if Brian Kemp picked Casey Cagle for this seat, given his name, ID, and campaign operation. Yeah. The guy that Brian Kemp beat and then uh, did a tell-all expose sort of, here's what I think about Clay Tippins and everything else, thing, it ain't going to happen. I, I, I laughed out loud that there was anyone out there floating that name. And now apparently it's Greg Bluestein's calling him out on BS as well. People saying, Brian Kemp looks like he may go with Casey. K. Yeah, I I have a hard time. Listen, I never say never. It could happen. But I, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I um, My sense, and th this is only from the governors. I'm not talking to the governor. I'm not talking to the governor's staff. I don't want to talk to the governor's staff. I don't want to talk to the governor. And the reason I don't is I know they're getting billions of phone calls from people who are desperate to talk to them. I can't tell you the number of people I've reached out to who said, well, I called and put this person's name in. I called and put this person's name in. I called and had a long conversation about this person. I called and put my own name into it. I, I, I had somebody text me yesterday who said they put their own name into the, into the ring over who's going to fill Johnny Isaacson's seat. I don't think it's going to be any of those people. Here's what I know about Brian Kemp. 
he needs to find someone who, if there is a runoff, can sustain himself and through a fundraising operation from November to January. Why? Because if there go if there is a runoff, the runoff goes until January of 2021. Likewise, that person will then immediately get on the ballot again in 2022. So the governor needs to find someone who can withstand the Democratic wave of 2020 and then also go up in 2022 and stand for Isaacson's seat on the ballot with Brian Kemp without being a drag on Brian Kemp. And there are a lot of people floating a lot of names out there. I'm like, eh, this, this person? Here's the other thing I know about Brian Kemp. And again, I hadn't talked to his office. I don't want to talk to his office. I don't want to bother him. There are plenty of things. There's a hurricane. There, there's, there's all sorts of stuff. Brian Kemp doesn't need to be bothered about this stuff. He doesn't have to make a pick until January. But if you look at the governor's picks, he makes some very diverse picks. He does make very diverse, interesting picks. And I think the governor would like to find someone who will have a base of operations to be able to raise money, will be able to fundraise, will be able to build name ID if they don't already have name ID, can put in place an operation, and won't have a lot of baggage. Now, I I told this story on on the radio this morning, and and it's deeply relevant to this and, and the process that you go through with vetting candidates. It's worth you hearing about. It's actually kind of funny. Okay, so do you know what goes into to running for office? Uh, let me explain this. And the Democrats are going to go through this as well. The Democrats are panicked because they don't want a situation where you have a one Republican who Brian Kemp has nominated and this person's had a chance to build name ID. And then you've got 20 Democrats running and they divide up the field and cause problems for each other. But you also need, as I mentioned yesterday, you need the people to be able to have some sort of level of primary and competition to build up their strength and properly vet everyone. I used to run races. Uh, when I was a lawyer, I also did campaign management. I have run federal races, congressional races. Uh, I've done uh, state house, state senate uh, in Georgia and elsewhere. I've run county races, local races. I've run races. I've done polling. I've done media. I've done commercials. I've done mail pieces. I've done get out the vote. I've done door to door. I've done grassroots coalitions. If there is a part of a campaign, I have in some way played a role in doing that over the years. And one of the first things you do is you get the candidate, the candidate's spouse, and the candidate's best friends in a room, and you do basically a SWOT analysis, your strengths and weaknesses, who you think your leading rival is going to be, and their strengths and weaknesses. And you have the spouse and you have the friends in the room because you need people who are going to be honest with them. And if you've got older kids, you bring the older kids in and you sit down and they give hard, painful truths to the candidate about the quirks that drive them crazy. The things he does that they think are going to be weaknesses on the trail, the things they like about him, why he should run, why he shouldn't run. What are his liabilities? I'll never forget one time I did this, and I went to campaign management school, and I was always amazed at the number of of campaigns that just kind of wing it, particularly at the local level. They just kind of wing it. And I I did this with a candidate. He was running for Congress, and wife and friends were there, and and the wife was just being brutally honest. The, The friends were trying to gloss everything over. The wife was being brutally honest. 
And she's on a roll about him. She's on a roll about the way he dresses, about the way he stands, about the way he rebuts things, about he's just too nice. He doesn't fight back. People will insult him and he laughs it off and he's going to be on the campaign trail and he doesn't understand how nasty it is. And her voice is at this crescendo and she says that one of the things that drives her crazy is when he gets nervous or upset, he bites his fingernails. He's going to be on stage in a debate biting his fingernails. And she's saying it like this. And we're all kind of laughing and we look over and there he is in the corner biting his fingernails as he's doing this. I drove him to a debate and on the way to the debate, he pulled out fingernail clippers and began obsessively clipping his fingernails. I mean, down to where they almost bled uh, so that he wouldn't be biting them on stage. (laughs) But this is what you do. This is what you do with candidates. Well, you know. When you're in a situation like this, it's essentially the governor of the state of Georgia is mapping out your campaign for you. And it's the governor of the state of Georgia who needs to get in a room with the list of people he's interested in and vet them and decide what baggage does this person have? I'm going to have to be on the ballot with this person in 2022. I don't want this person dragging me down. I don't want this person in 2020 being the person who loses Johnny Isaacson's seat to a Democrat. I don't want this person to have unforeseen weaknesses. The person's going to have to be investigated. They're going to have to be examined. They're going to have to really, really want it. They're going to have to have a fundraising network. They're going to have to have connections. They're going to have to have core competencies. They're going to have to know what it takes to run a race. They're going to have to have the the amazing ability to not put their foot in their mouth. You would be amazed at the number of people out there who think speaking truth to power gets them elected when all it does is allows the media ample opportunity to portray you as some sort of out of touch buffoon you got to have somebody with core competencies to run for office. There were a lot of people. Listen, I've got a lot of names. i got names today. Oh, this person would be great. They were elected to office before. Yeah, but can they win statewide? I don't think so. For a lot of reasons. The Republicans have problems with suburban Atlanta. They do. The president is going to be on the ballot. The Democrats are going to make it about the president. Do you have someone who can distinguish himself or do you have someone who's going to be portrayed as a clone of the president and potentially hurt David Perdue as well, who say what you want. The Democrats are going to attack him for being too allied with Donald Trump. But the reality is David Perdue is his own man and everyone knows it. That's why you've got uh, three B-list, C-list candidates on the Democratic Party running against David Perdue. I mean, my goodness, the Democrats don't even have a bench in the state of Georgia. They're having to go back to Michelle Nunn and and Jason Carter, two losers, to see if they might run against whoever the governor picks. And by the way, as we get closer to the time the governor's got to pick someone, do you know what happens? The rumor mill of the Democratic Party gets stronger. They've been making phone calls. They've been reaching out, getting pledges. They've been reaching out, trying to build streaks. So the governor knows who the Democratic candidates are probably going to be before he's got to tip his hand and say, I'm going with this person. So you get a bunch of white people in there and the governor picks a Hispanic person. You get a bunch of of progressive people in there. The governor goes conservative. You get a bunch of business people in there, the governor goes cultural social. You get a bunch of uh, hot-headed social progressives, the governor gets a reasonable business person. He gets to play his pick off the Democrats. Why? Because he's the governor. What I can tell you, though, is this. Nobody knows. All of the rumors out there, nobody knows. The governor's not tipping his hand. The governor's staff, they got bigger fish to fry right now. Guess what? Johnny Isaacson's not dead. It's one of the things I'm trying to make myself be careful of. There are a lot of people talking like Johnny Isaacson's dead, like he, like he's in the grave. He's not. 
He's alive. He is a United States senator. He's in Washington, D.C. today working on behalf of the people of Georgia. So the governor wants to be respectful of that as well. There are lots of rumors swirling, and there is a long way to go before the governor needs to make a pick. And I can tell you one thing. The governor is going to vet very hard whoever the pick is. The problem the Democrats have is they need to vet very hard as well, but they need to be very, very careful. They don't make it sound like the national Democrats are trying to force on Georgia a particular candidate. It becomes a vulnerability in both the Republican and the Democratic Party if national parties are perceived as picking the candidates. You got to be careful for that. The phone number here... 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Frank and Marietta, welcome to the program. Eric, I want to float a name out there and uh, get your opinion. If, All right. Um, Brian, if Brian Kemp tapped Eric Erickson on the shoulder and said, I'd like for you to replace Johnny Isaacs, what, what do you think? Well, uh, unfortunately, Frank, for you, your caller ID showed up, and my wife, I believe, is on her way to murder you at this very moment. <laughs> there, there's there's no way. Listen, I was on city council in Macon, and elected office was the worst job I have ever had in my life. Um, there are these things called constituents, and nine times out of ten, they are stupid. And uh, they're, they're awful to deal with. I, I just, I hate humanity. And being in an elected office, you have to deal with humanity on a regular basis. That's why I like Amazon. I never have to come into contact with another person while shopping. There is no way I would do that. It would be a huge pay cut, too, uh, at this point in my career. But I, yeah. listen, there's there's just no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Uh, I actually had a, a member of the Senate text me the other day and say, would you put, can I put your name in? We need a conservative. I was like, no, one, I couldn't get elected. Uh, can you imagine the the attacks from the left on me? Uh, there's no way. I am self-aware enough to know that I would be electorally radioactive. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to do it anyway. It would be horrible. I would actually have to deal with voters. Um, yeah, there, no, no. Listen, if you're offended by me saying that, that um, humanity is, is stupid, did you not see the CNN forum? I mean, did you, this is a, a, the climate cult was having their festival last night. You would have to deal with people like that. I mean, I, and I don't want to deal with stupid people all day. And that's essentially what the word constituent means. Uh, it, it, it's a derivative of constipation. There's no way I would want to do that. We need to talk about that. We'll take more of your calls as well when we come back. The, man, that CNN thing last night. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. Mike and Alpharetta, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. Uh, first of all, I want to say I thoroughly enjoy your show, and it helps me get through the mind-numbing traffic every afternoon. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, quick question for you. Um, if we had a Democrat as a governor— and we were in the same situation with Senator Isaacson. Would the Democrat governor have to appoint a Republican replacement since the Republicans hold the seat? Or could the Democrat governor appoint a Democrat to temporarily fill that seat until the election? Uh, no, he does not. Um, the, the situation is in Georgia. The law is that you can uh, pick someone of your own party. Some states have laws where... The governor can only appoint someone of the party 
um, that is that is replaced that that person who's deceased or retired or stepped down represented. Uh, New Jersey, for example, has that. Uh, Georgia doesn't have that law. The governor can pick whoever he wants. Uh, case in point uh, is when Paul Coverdale died. Um, Zell Miller was picked. Zell Miller had been, I think it was Sonny. Is that right? It was Sonny Purdue. No, 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 no. I think that this happened before then. I think Roy Barnes was governor when Coverdale died, and Zell Miller. A uh, Democrat was picked to replace the Republican, and then of course Zell Miller was was more populist than Democrat by then. Uh, so no, you don't have to in, in Georgia. You're not bound by the party. So if it was a, if we had a Democratic governor and Isaacson stepped down, then the Democratic governor could pick a Democrat to replace Isaacson. Um, again, it's a minority of states that have party preference laws. New Jersey, for example, and I think Arizona is one. Uh, don't hold me to the Arizona. I know New Jersey's one. Essentially, the state party of the party that that person in the Senate represented nominates names. And essentially what happens is if you have a party opposite, the party opposite in the governor's mansion finds the weakest of those names to come forward, the one they can find the most dirt on. They put that person in, and then they decide to tear them up and, and um, run against them. So... And you might as well just let the governor pick. Let's see. Uh, Lucille in Gwinnett County, welcome. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. I was hoping you could um, elucidate for me a statement you made earlier when you first came on the air. You were talking about, and I'm, of course, paraphrasing. I don't remember your exact words, but you had said it would be foolish or a person would be fool, would be a fool if they were running for office and spoke truth to power. Yes, and that shocked me a little bit. What would the alternative be to speaking truth? To well, I, let, let's see. And, and you know, normally what I what I typically do is is I disconnect an answer so you can hear. But Lucille, I, I want to leave you on the phone here because I want I, I've got a perfect example for you. Um, I'm going to play a clip from last night's CNN um, festival of of climate cultists. This is is this is Kamala Harris answering a question let me let me play this and we can all listen to it together um, certain countries have changed their dietary guidelines uh to reduce the consumption of red meat uh in light of the impact of of the climate change yeah uh if elected uh are you will you be supporting uh change uh, in dietary guidelines and then how will you plan on implementing the changes so that people effectively change the diets yeah, I mean, it's and thank you, Carol, for your work on the question. Um, there is, I, I think of the, the point that you're raising in the in, in a broader context, which is that as a nation, we actually have to have a real priority at the highest level of government around what we eat and in terms of healthy eating, because we have a problem in America. Um, and we can talk about all that we are now the subject of this conversation. We can talk about um, the amount of sugar in everything. We can talk, we could talk about soda. We could go on and on. Uh, so the answer is yes. Um, but I'll also say this. We, the, the balance that we have to strike here frankly, is about what government can and should do around creating incentives and then banning certain behaviors. I mean, just to be very honest with you, I love cheeseburgers. 
I can leave it there. She, This is Kamala Harris, and she thinks she's talking truth to power. She thinks she's talking truth to people, essentially telling painful truths that people need to hear uh, because she believes that'll advance her in the Democratic primary. And, and what's she now going on record with? Uh, that we need the government's power used to force us to curb our diets and then goes on to say we need to talk about banning cheeseburgers. Uh, actually goes on to discuss banning cheeseburgers. That, that's what I mean by it, Lucille. Is that so you don't mean about challenging someone in power when they're off the mark, like like Dr. Martin Luther King challenged those in power. No, what I mean is when when you're running for office and you get it in your head that you're going to run by by speaking truth to power, Mm -hmm. what what we hear is you're going to challenge the status quo in some way. What the candidate typically means 9.9 times out of 10 is they're going to say something they consider a painful truth and everyone else is going to hear it and say, that dude's crazy. Um, okay, that's what I mean. Yeah. Okay, and, they're talking thank about you when for... they're in power, and these are the truths that I am going to implement when I'm in power, yes. rather than challenging the wrong ideas of those already in power. Exactly. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, now yeah. I got you. Okay, All yeah, right. yeah. I, I guess I should have been more clear about it. Yes, they, thanks, Lucille. But that, that's that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You, you, you got people who have super crazy ideas, and they believe they're talking truth to power. That it, there is some malevolent power out there, and I'm not talking about the elected officials. There's some malevolent power out there, some grand conspiracy, and they need to be talked to. Here's Kamala Harris going on CNN saying, we need to actually have a national conversation about banning cheeseburgers. She thinks she's talking truth to power when what she's actually doing is ensuring she will never be a candidate for president of the United States who gets taken seriously ever again. That's that's the problem with people who want to run by talking truth to power. Never trust the candidate who says they want to run to talk truth to power. We certainly need people to talk truth, truth to power, but when candidates say it, typically it means they have a lot of crazy things they want to say. Sylvester in Atlanta, you're next. Welcome. Hey, how are you doing, Eric? Good. How are you? Oh, good, good. I hadn't, hadn't had a chance to uh, uh, talk with you. I think I said hi to you during the uh, Red State 2015, the one that uh, our president is at. Yep. Uh, three people I have that might be an interesting choice for the governor that will be uh, really be unconventional. One is a politician, one's a business person, and the other one's a TV personality. All right. The, the current politician would be June Woods, Henry County chairperson. Okay. Second, T. Dallas Smith, commercial realtor. Governor is familiar with him, pro business. Uh, and could uh, really talk uh, to a community that the Republican Party not, doesn't usually mm-hmm. talk with here in, in Georgia. And then third, uh, a new personality, Janelle Jones. She's been working hard for the party. She's on the Georgia game. Get, she's getting great reviews from all sectors of Georgia. Uh, that would be the type of choice that would make him a very bold, unconventional governor. And then also uh, be something that would allow for many minorities who might not have voted in the Republican Party to say, hmm, I might need to, I know these people. You know, I know, Sylvester, I know it's interesting that you say this because I, I just I, I'm really hoping and, and listen, I, I'll support whoever the governor picks, but it would be very interesting if the governor goes with a pick that is conservative is Republican and also not an old white guy. I think it would be very interesting if he did that. 
And I, I actually think that the the way forward in this for the governor is to consider someone in the Hispanic community. I know Johnny Isaacson has said in the black community. Um, but can you, is there a way to find someone who is pro-life, who is conservative, who's not going to disappoint conservatives, because that'll come back to haunt the governor if they do, um, and then um, go forth and, and see if he can do something. I'll tell you a name that is being floated by a lot of people right now is Doug Collins. Uh, Doug Collins, the congressman from Northeast Georgia. Um, I... I definitely think that he's one of the names being floated. In fact, the AJC notes there are a lot of people thinking Doug Collins could rally the conservative base. That's true. He could. Uh, and if that's what the governor's looking for, he'd be a great pick. But if you wanted to expand the ba- rally the base while expanding the base, I wonder, is there somebody out there? I don't know the answer to that question, but I bet that's what the governor's office is looking at. Hello there. It's Eric Erickson. If you would like to be a part of the program, the phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I got to play this funny Bernie Sanders clip for you. Uh, l- listen, I'm just listening to the clip, and then I'll explain what's going on. Brian, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Because it's not easy getting up in front of a TV camera. Brian, do I hear you correctly say that you have to cut your pills in half your time? Okay. We can keep that down a little bit. Okay. Um, this is so Bernie has a he's at a rally, and by the way, that, that's completely in context, so you can see he wasn't joking there. Um Sanders is at a union hall, he's talking to people about health care. Someone has brought their baby to see Bernie Sanders. Uh, the baby squeals, and Shanner's like, uh, can you keep that kid quiet? <laughs> now, Sanders is, apparently has a reputation he doesn't like kids. Uh, and this just comes out of the campaign trail. You know, I, I think it is abundantly obvious that uh, this race is going to come down to Elizabeth Warren and to Joe Biden, I don't think uh, Kamala Harris is not going to rebound. I don't think Bernie's going to be able to get it. If anything, Bernie Sanders is going to keep Elizabeth Warren from uh, getting the nomination. It, it all depends on Iowa. It, it's, uh, Biden, interestingly enough, is signaling that he uh, may not win Iowa. Um, he's not organized for the caucus, and you got to actually get in there and do a lot of organization, and he hasn't. We'll see. Now, when we come back, let us, please, let, let's get into the Democratic uh, climate cult festivities last night on CNN. There really is some hilarious audio that we need to go through, including Bernie Sanders essentially admitting we just need to start killing poor people in third world countries to solve the population problem. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. The President of the United States thus far successfully ordering the military to redirect Pentagon funding to build his wall. $3.6 billion allocated. The Supreme Court uh, said that his emergency order to the Pentagon was valid several months ago. Now he has started moving the spinning around. Uh, I will tell you what projects in Georgia are affected as he tries to build the wall. But first, we need to talk about the climate change thing. Y'all, it was kind of silly. 
Uh, it really was. Uh, Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden both coming out on, on the carbon tax issue. Here's Elizabeth Warren. Most economists believe that a carbon tax is the most efficient way to reduce carbon emissions. Would you push for such a tax? And if not, please explain why you don't favor that approach. So I think of this as what my mother taught me. And that is, you've got to clean up your own messes. And that means if you're going to be spewing carbon into the air and messing up the air for the rest of us, it's your responsibility to clean it up. And we've been talking about this for a long time. We've actually started putting parts of this in place in New England uh, and other regional areas. But yes, we need to say that those who are throwing the carbon into the air that the rest of us have to breathe, that the rest of us have to deal with, are the ones who are responsible for paying for that. And here's Joe Biden. Would you support uh, a carbon tax? Other some other candidates said they would. Yeah, no, I, I would. But here's what we have to do. Look, the bottom line of this is what we have to do is we have to understand that you need to be able to bring people and countries and interests together to get anything done. You can have the plans are great, but executing on those plans is a very different thing. We make up it is the existential threat of not this generation but the whole world. The existential threat that exists. We don't move on it, number one. Yep. So taxes, taxes. That's one of the things they want to do. And then they also want to do the electric car for everyone. Everybody drives an electric car or has to drive an electric car? Well, I think, look, that's going to be based upon whether or not we can make it economically feasible. And it is economically feasible. Because guess what? Everybody knows where the world's going. You're not just like, you know, we, 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 we set out the rules for what kind of plant, you know, coal-burning plants. No one's going to build another coal-burning. We've got to shut the ones down we have. But no one is going to build a new one. Guess what? They're not efficient relative to what else is available to be done. That's why people are going to move, and that's why it's going to create so many new jobs for us. We have to take they take combustion engine vehicles off the road as rapidly as we can. But that also could create a significant number of jobs and opportunities for people. You know, Andrew Yang, the, the other candidate, he also has said that he wants to force people into electric cars, essentially punishing people for driving combustion fuel cars, fossil fuel burning cars. I mean, this whole thing, a lot of poor people in third world countries are going to die so Democrats can sleep well at night. The electricity comes from somewhere. The electricity comes from somewhere. It can't come from just solar and wind because renewable energies are not energies that you can flip a switch and have them come on. You got to have the sun shining for solar. You got to have the wind blowing for wind. You need nuclear. You need uh, you need coal. You need something. You need natural gas to generate the power. You need hydroelectric power. You need to build dams, but we can't build the dams because you got the endangered species. So what are we going to do? But then the other thing is you got to have the precious minerals, you got to have the precious materials, you got to have the the elements, you got to have lithium, and the mining for those are deeply harmful to the environment. It's not clean. And so essentially what the Democrats are saying is they want to pollute third world countries to get the lithium to build the batteries for all the electric cars they want uh, so that they can sleep well at night knowing that it, it's small children and, and families in Africa that are dying and not uh, rich white Americans. That is what this is all about ultimately, uh, which is uh, people don't want to talk about it, but that's what's actually happening here. Now, 
Okay, let's get back to this. Uh, you got all the loony things. You got Kamala Harris wants to ban beef. Here's, here's Andrew Yang. You know, the UN just released a study that said we're going to be okay if the vast majority of the world goes vegetarian immediately. You guys see that? So uh, it's good for the environment. It's good for your health if you eat less meat. Uh, certainly meat is an extraordinarily expensive thing to produce from an environmental sustainability point of view. So I think it would be healthy on both an individual and a societal level for us to move in that direction. But again, this is a country where uh, there's a lot of individual autonomy, and so you can't force people's eating choices uh, on them. You, all you can do is try and shape our system so that over time we evolve in a productive way. Right. So essentially, we're, this is another guy out there saying we need to use the government to force people, to cajole people, to badger people into becoming vegetarian. By the way, there's a study out of London Day, uh, Oxford University has done, uh, that vegans and vegetarians have higher risk of stroke because of vitamin deficiencies. Yes, yes, but they're okay with that because you'll get out of the gene pool, um, and so you won't be breathing out carbon dioxide. Here's a little more on Andrew Yang. But imagine a country like China 25 years from now who's going to be bearing the brunt of climate change in the same way that, that we are, they're not very consultative. And so you can imagine them doing something that affects us and the rest of the world, spraying sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere. So we need to face facts about the scope of the challenge and lead globally. So I would convene a geoengineering summit and get countries from around the world to make sure that we don't have rogue actors just going off on their own. So this is my approach. It is not the primary approach, but it's something that we need to explore in the days ahead because the reality is the last four years have already been the four warmest years in recorded history. July is the warmest month in recorded history. The Earth is likely getting warmer around us. And even as we're attacking emissions, we need to start uh, researching innovative methods to address climate change. You, you, did you hear that? He wants to spray sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere to begin cooling the planet. Do you know what happens when you mix sulfur dioxide with water vapor? You get acid rain. Acid rain. Remember, that was the outrage in the 70s and the 80s, acid rain. Um, this, this, is, this is all cult-like. It is very cult-like. I mean, you got uh, Julian Castro there. He really does believe this, this timeline. Do you see any point in your career in public service where you wish that you had taken more forceful action to protect the quality of our air, water, and soil. And what would you do differently if you face a similar point today? Um, the silence, the thoughtfulness. You know, I think that looking back with the challenge that we have, Right. With this U.N. report that says now, I guess it's 11 years that we have left. It was 12 years in 2018 when they released it. Uh, I think many of us look back and say, wow, you know, we the earlier we could start, the better. So, of course, if I were mayor of San Antonio again, would I approach things a little bit differently? Yeah, perhaps. Uh, but I also know that there are some ways that I've stood up, for instance, for clean water. Yeah. That we really only have 11 years left. We, we, we're all going to die. Well, why are you even worrying about this? We're all going to die. You know, we, we are past the point of time where scientists actually, the ones who really believe their nonsense, think that we can roll things back. So, I mean, why are we even doing this? Adapt. 
you know, Andrew Yang got in a lot of trouble with a bunch of Democrats and environmentalists for saying we just need to move to higher ground. Oh, by the way, relevant. One more one more soundbite before we get out of here. Yeah, relevant with a hurricane coming up the coast. Listen to what Bernie Sanders had to say. In coastal communities, you have a house right on the beach. Uh, would they have to move? Well, we de- I don't think it makes a lot of sense to rebuild that house so that it is, you know, knocked down again in the next storm. Uh, and so what how do you, you make that happen as president? Well, you know, all of the, well, you do your best at, through carrots and sticks at the federal level. But, I, you know, if people want to uh, rebuild in an area which will be devastated by the next storm, they're certainly not going to get any federal assistance from my administration to do that. Yeah. Um, so this is a real good message for folks in the Carolinas right now. Uh, that if Bernie Sanders is president, uh, the home that just got destroyed by the tornado, yeah, it's not going to be rebuilt. You're not going to get any insurance. You're not going to get any federal disaster relief insurance. Yeah, that's a real winning message for Democrats in states like North Carolina, which are, by the way, swing states. It is Eric Erickson here on Atlanta's Evening News. Chick-fil-A under attack University of Kansas, trying to uh, faculty members trying to drive it off campus. Meanwhile, Chick-fil-A keeping its head down, doing good work, made over 500 sandwiches for police officers investigating the shootings in Texas. Uh, Not getting a lot of coverage there. Uh, Worth pointing out, Chick-fil-A continuing to do good work while uh, you've got the left uh, attacking it. Uh, Travis in Fayetteville, welcome to the program. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Good, how are you? Hey, glad to be back on. Hey, uh... I think the best thing we can do for this country is encourage those leftists to continue in their ideology and live it first, because if they eat unhealthy diet and don't have kids and refuse to use modern technology, pretty soon they'll all be extinct and fill their weird climate religion. <laughs> Listen, you know, um, it was a it was Brant Frost from the, the state executive committee here in Georgia said that um, people who are worried about uh, progressives making major inroads need to consider that the reproduction rate of people in the state of Georgia, uh, you, you got progressives tend to not have kids. And he got devastatingly savaged by progressives outrage at what he was saying. And the data is actually true. He was right. Uh, it is it's conservative Christians in this country, uh, Hispanic voters, particularly Hispanic Protestants, who are re- at repl- above replacement rate for population. Uh, it's white liberals in particular in this country who just aren't having kids, and the data bears it out. That's why the, the Sanders population control comment was so bizarre. I should play that for you when we come back. Also, the president cutting some projects in the Pentagon to build his wall. I'll give you the details. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is from Reuters. Schools for the children of U.S. military members from Kentucky to Germany to Japan will be affected by the president's decision to reallocate funding to build his wall. The Pentagon said on Wednesday it would pull funding from 127 Defense Department projects, including schools and daycare centers for military families, as it diverts $3.6 billion to fund President Donald Trump's wall along the U.S. border with Mexico. A daycare center at Joint Base Andrews in Maryland, the home of Air Force One, will have its funds diverted. Uh, Again, schools in Kentucky, Germany, Japan on military bases will have their 
their funds diverted. A Pentagon official said in a briefing the department was given a lawful order by the president to divert the funds. On Tuesday, the Pentagon said the first $1.8 billion would come from projects outside the United States, followed by projects inside the country. Um, Congress had the opportunity to build the wall, to fund it. Uh, they, they now acknowledge there's a crisis at the border. And what they are doing is refusing to do anything. They had the opportunity to give the president the money he wanted for the wall. The money the president wanted, he wanted $4.8 billion, and that is money that Barack Obama's Department of Homeland Security wanted. All President Trump did was re-ask for the money, and Congress is refusing to give him the money. So he's found $3.6 billion in the Pentagon budget. He's declared an emergency. The Supreme Court says the president has the power to declare this emergency. Consequently, uh, he will use the emergency to fund things. Uh, the left, as you can imagine, is outraged. Here's Eleanor Clift on MSNBC, really upset about this issue. Eleanor? Uh, it may be unconstitutional, but I think he's going to get away with it with the blessing of the Supreme Court because the president is acting under the guise of the emergency order that he put through earlier this year that gives him virtually unprecedented uh, powers. And he's moving money around with the blessing of the uh, Secretary of Defense. And uh, the signals coming out of the Supreme Court in an earlier case indicate that they approve or they favor, by a five to four margin, executive power. And he's likely uh, to get away with this, which I think is the most horrifying part of it. You know, presidents in the past, they have a war on poverty. Uh, a war on drugs, which General McCaffrey is very familiar with. Uh, this president is conducting a war on immigration, and uh, he thinks it's going to be, or he knows it's going to be popular among the segment of the population that he needs for his reelection, and he's determined to get uh, that wall uh, built, uh, and he will stretch his powers as far as uh, they will go, and he's not getting much opposition. Usually, when you monkey with congressional projects that have members of Congress and senators who are using them to demonstrate to their constituents why they're important in Washington. Uh, I've noticed so far it's only Democrats who have been complaining. I'm, I'm cynical enough to wonder if they've cherry-picked the projects and uh, know they're only going to get objections from the, you know, the two Democratic senators of Virginia or Chuck Schumer in New York who's complaining about West Point being uh, on the list. <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, uh, there, there's a pretty broad list of projects around the country. One state that will not be impacted at all by this is Georgia. Uh, no, no cuts coming from any of the military installations in Georgia. There are some in Virginia. Uh, West Point will not have its engineering, uh, student engineering building built. Uh, there's a the thing in Arizona, uh, Hawaii, Alaska has a number of things that will be impacted. Again, though, Congress could have funded the wall. They set precedent where the president can declare emergencies and reroute funding. Barack Obama did it. George W. Bush did it. Bill Clinton did it. Well, now Donald Trump is doing it. And that's why the Supreme Court said, you can't stop him, guys. Y'all have given the president the power to do this. There's nothing we can do about it. And now Congress is mad. If they want to stop these cuts, they can build the wall. Since they're not building the wall, the president is. Now, some of you might wish there was a wall with the guy behind you trying to tailgate you. We better go check with Doug Turnbull on this. Listen, uh, again, Democrats had the opportunity, and they they didn't do it. And 
And now they will see projects in their congressional districts cut because the president promises wall. He intends to build the wall. Now, uh, there's a, there's another thing. I, I got I to gotta read this. This is relevant to the global warming conversation the Democrats are having. Uh, the president and CEO of the Athens Area Chamber of Commerce put a letter to the editor or column, I guess, I guess column in the Athens Banner Herald uh, September 1st. His column talked about an inner city leadership visit to Columbia, Missouri, the home of the University of Missouri. Columbia, Missouri is demographically, size-wise and the like, very similar to Athens, Georgia. And one of the things that the president of the Chamber of Commerce said was, quote, perhaps most interesting is the expansion of Athens Bineps Airport as a lucrative option for passenger service, comparing it to Columbia, Missouri, which has had a tenfold uh, increase in passengers in the last 12 years from over 26,000 passengers per month. Uh, he wrote, uh, we have a unique current opportunity to have a major airline flying out of Athens on a daily basis. You probably will not be surprised to learn that in Athens, there are some people upset. There is a letter to the editor in response to this column. Let me read you part of it. This mode of thinking from the president of the Chamber of Commerce is anathema to the current global warming crisis because air transport is the least efficient, most carbon-polluting mode of transportation there is. Society needs desperately to find ways of reducing carbon emissions, not increasing them. Someone writes in, outraged, that Athens may want to expand air service in Athens, helping the people of Athens, and by the way, uh, helping offload some capacity from Atlanta, no doubt, if you had a regular airline coming into Athens. It's not a bad idea. It's actually a pretty, pretty good idea. I was the chairman of the Public Properties Committee in Macon, Georgia, and for years have tried to get an expansion of the runway down there because you could offload some capacity from Hartsfield with, with either FedEx or UPS, get other capacity down there to, to if you ran that runway out by another 500 feet. It's a good idea. It brings in higher paying jobs than your usual distribution hubs. It's just, it, it is hilarious to me to see progressives upset at progress because of global warming. It really is a religion as well. There is no way to disprove their claims at this point. And it's not the science says, because frequently the science doesn't say. Like the, the hurricane stuff. How many people who believe in global warming believe Hurricane Dorian is caused by global warming? Actually, science says otherwise. And yet they believe it. It is a by-faith religious belief with these people. And now they're opposed to creating high-paying jobs in Athens, Georgia, because of global warming. Do I even want to do this? Do I even have time to do this? I, I don't want to do this. L let me just tell you. I, this, this, I, ooh, I can't use that word on radio. That would be bad. Um, the media continues to be genuinely outraged by the president of the United States saying that the hurricane would impact um, Alabama. The president continues to show, push out data that showed he was originally right. That was the original projection. The media's mocking. Does anybody care about the story? Does anybody really care about this story of all things? Uh, what garbage the media is these days. Who really cares about these sorts of stories?